Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining us in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, I have amazing guests join me to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. But they do this in order that we, you and I, can better live inspired together. Before we dive into today's episode, and it's going to be a great one, by the way, I want to invite you to check out the show notes from today's episode, maybe listen to previous episodes, or check out my inspirational videos, the blogs, and much more at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. Again, it's JohnO'LearyInspires.com. It's also there that you can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can learn more about my speaking schedule, how to invite us into your organization, or even about my book, On Fire. It's a number one national bestseller. Find out why and find out much more at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. My friends, today I am thrilled that here in St. Louis, spring weather is finally returning. Finally, it's been a while. The long winter is slowly coming to an end, reminding me not only that I can shed my winter jacket, but also I can grab my glove, I can grab my hat, I can start heading downtown with my kids to one of their favorite activities, the Cardinals game. So I'm going to talk just to you for a moment about a baseball game that I went to one time. Uh, Sadly, no, it was not in St. Louis, and no, it was not the St. Louis Cardinals. It was in Denver, Colorado, for my second favorite team, the Colorado Rockies. I had the great pleasure of speaking to the organization earlier in that day. And then that evening, they allowed me access to their presidential suite. They allowed me to invite a whole bunch of friends into this incredible venue to, to take in the game. I brought a couple of dear buddies from Denver, Colorado. And I also brought a guy who is a speaker a writer, a thought leader, and a man that I look up to. His name is Tommy Spaulding. Tommy is a best-selling author of two books. One is called It's Not Just Who You Know, and the other one is The Heart-Led Leader. They're both fascinating books. They're going to encourage and inspire you to not only do a better job in leading, you're going to hear a little bit about Tommy's story, But you're going to want to be a servant and impactful for those that you bump into every day in your life. They're full of remarkable stories. And some of those stories that come from Tommy's experience are going to be shared today on this podcast. He's a great friend. He's a great man. He's a great thinker. And you are going to find out much more when you check out today. So open up your hearts open up your minds, open wide your journals and your eyes and ears as we invite in our newest friend, Tommy Spaulding. Tommy Spaulding, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Hey, John, good morning. Man, it is so cool to have not only an author and a speaker that I look up to and respect, but a friend, a, a true friend on the radio with us today. It's great to be here with you, John. 
So, Tommy, for, for those who may not yet know the name Tommy Spaulding, uh, why don't you give us a snapshot of who you are? Tell us a little bit about your family and a little bit about your work background. Well, my parents were both school teachers, and my sister's a school teacher. Aunts and uncles are all school teachers, and so I grew up with a home full of educators. I uh, wanted to be a teacher, but I didn't have the grades to get into college because I was dyslexic and really a struggling high school student and kind of graduated towards the bottom of my class and, and you know, watched my friends graduate high school, magna cum laude and summa cum laude, and I graduated high school, thank God almighty cum laude. <laughs> Right. Uh, and I know that to be true, man. So you, you barely snuck through. As you look at your life today in college, in high school, in grade school, would you have ever imagined that you would be a, a best-selling author, a world-class speaker? Did you ever see that on your horizon? <laughs> no way. I mean, I can barely read a book, let alone write a book, but uh, I'm blessed and I surround myself with a great team of people that uh, put the words in my heart on paper. Um, but, you know, high school was really tough for me because my parents were both school teachers. You know, I was a good kid. I was an altar boy. I was an Eagle Scout. I was class president. I mean, I was a well-behaved, good kid. I just couldn't read. And they didn't know how to diagnose dyslexia back then. And um, I, I never even thought I'd go to college. And uh, when I graduated high school, I joined an international musical leadership organization called Up With People. Yes. And that put me on a trajectory to, to change the world. Well, man, let's talk about, before we, you talk about changing the world and the lives that changed yours, let's talk about some of those who informed who you are today. Uh, beginning at home, man, I think that's where, where great change always starts, where great leadership and love always begins. So uh, around the dinner table, man, who, who else sits with you as a kid? Well, of course, my parents, my mom and my dad were both school teachers. And, you know, I'm definitely a 50-50 part of my parents. I, I have my mother's drive and ambition and uh, organization and um, my my uh, my father uh, has one of the most gentle and loving and humble hearts and mm. um, you know when I came home from school my mother would ask me you know what were your grades uh, you know what did you accomplish you know she, she was all about you know you know accomplishments and my father didn't care I <laughs> didn't give a hoot about that he would he would ask me you know, who did you bless? You know, who did you serve? Who did you love? Who did you help? And so I had these two forceful parents, one, you know, pushing uh, you know, success and drive, and the other one pushing love and, 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 and contribution. And I just took both of the best and, and made up Tom's falling, I guess. <laughs> well, dude, it's a powerful combo when you mix this idea of accomplishment with heart behind it. When you were struggling in school, you know, your, your parents are teachers, man. They're experts in this. Were they not able to help diagnose or correct this, this challenge? No, no. Everyone just thought I had had a hard time reading. It wasn't until I, was a, until I was a junior in college, and I failed Math 1065 like six or seven, maybe even eight times. I mean, picture failing basic math, algebra, right. you know, seven or eight times. And finally, my, my math teacher in college came to me and said, you know, have you ever been diagnosed with dyslexia? I said, no. Because I think you have it. So I got signed up to this test and was diagnosed. And it wasn't until I was, you know, in junior in college. But um, people always ask me, you know, Did, didn't that frustrate you? And I said, no, because I've always felt my learned disability was my greatest gift. And I know that sounds crazy, but we all have crosses. We all have um, challenges in our life. We all have handicaps. And mine is just reading and, 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 you know, comprehension of dyslexia. 
And I believe that when God takes away a trait, he gives you a double dose of something else. So he took away my learned comprehension. I, I cannot read very well, um, but he gave me a double dose of, of something else that I've tapped into, which is really you know inspiring and loving and serving other people. So Tommy, today, do you, do you read? I do. I do a lot of books on tape. Um, but I actually do enjoy reading, but it just takes me, you know, a few months to get to a book. It just, it's, it's just really, really hard for me to comprehend. I have to read a page two or three, four times for really to, to sink in. So I do really everything on, on audio. But once I hear something, I, I'll never forget it. It's just, it's just reading has always been tough for me. When you write, Tommy, whether it's the newsletters or the books themselves, are you writing by recording, dictating, or do you, do you sit back and type it on a, on a laptop? Um, I do. I type it on a laptop. My first book I dictated, um, I, but my um, second book I did a lot of uh, writing. And I've actually started falling in love with really writing more. And I try to read as much as I can because I don't want to you know, get stagnant. I want to try to improve my, my reading. Go, going back to some influences in your life, you and I know each other not only as, as peers, but as friends. And so you've shared some really intimate, beautiful stories with me. And I've asked you before, okay, can I share these with my friends, with our community, Live Inspired community? And you said, yeah, man, absolutely. So I, I want you for a little bit to talk about your grandfather. I, I know he was an instrumental, massive, mighty impact in your life. Talk about grandpa. Yeah. He probably was the biggest influence of my life besides my father, but my, <sighs> my mother's father, my grandparents, um, Helen and Anthony Dequani, they really taught me about love I mean, unfortunately, my parents got divorced after 35 years of marriage, and um, they didn't really model, you know, really love as a marriage. Um, my grandparents did. They were married for 57 years, and uh, they were immigrants over from Italy, both 100% Italian, and they ran Helen and Anthony's hairdresser studio <laughs> in White Plains, New York. They were hairdressers. Right. right. Helen and Anthony's hairdresser studio. And for 47 years, my grandmother would shampoo the hair, and my father, my grandfather would cut and style the hair, women's hair. And above that, a little studio was an apartment where they raised four daughters, one of them being my mother. And for 57 years, they worked side by side. They were married. They raised four daughters, grandkids. They were always holding hands. They were always laughing and kissing. And I mean, I'm convinced, John, that they had an active sex life well into their 80s. I mean, these people were totally... That might have been too much information. I, I, my own mother just turned this podcast off. Mom, I apologize if you're still listening. Uh, but they were just the best. And um, when my grandparents were married about 55 years, my grandmother had a stroke and um, really kind of paralyzed her for the rest of her life, and then she couldn't walk or talk. And my grandfather would visit her in the nursing home. And he was like devastated because that was his best friend and his work colleague and his wife. And so he would go to the nursing home every day at seven o'clock. The doors open at seven o'clock. He'd be outside waiting for the doors to be open. He was always the first one there. And when the doors open at seven, he would hobble, run, race, walk fast, as fast as he could to Helen's room so he can throw his arms around her and tell her he loved her. And, and, um, you know, he became like her doctor and physical therapist and occupational therapist because Medicaid, Medicare did not fund her rehabilitation because mm -hmm. her stroke was so severe. So he basically rehabilitated her and she eventually did walk again. Mm. And uh, it's really a great love story. But what made my grandfather a legend in my life was just his words and um, his actions. And, you know, when he, when he died, he died of a massive brain tumor 
we hired hospice to go to his home to, to help him get to heaven. And, you know, all, we're all around his bedside, his grandkids and his, you know, nieces and nephews and his daughters and all his loved ones, you know, all saying goodbye to him, you know, and telling how much we love him. And, I love you, Papa. We call him Papa. Mm-hmm. We love you, Anthony. We love you, Dad. And with his last breath, he looks at us and he says, um, stop telling me you love me. <laughs> don't, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. And he closed his eyes and he went to heaven. And then for years, I wondered what the heck he meant by that. Like, don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. And it was then on my grandfather's deathbed that he really teed up what my life is really all about, is learning about loving and serving other people, not through your words, but through your actions. Hmm. And that's what servant leadership is really about, not telling people, here's what I'm going to do for you. Right. It's showing people uh, what you're going to do for them. That's the ultimate sign of love, is not using your words and telling people you love them. It's really showing them. And Tommy, as incredible as that story is, and I honestly, man, we could spend the rest of this time together talking to my grandpa, what, what his life was, what he taught, what you learned and what you're doing with it. I, I, I want to hear a little bit also about the ups and downs along your journey, man. I, I know your life has been not always perfect. There are ups and downs, not only today, but certainly looking backward. Yes, uh, the challenge with reading, but also challenge with relationships. I, w- I want you to talk a little bit about your girlfriend. Yeah, I had a girlfriend in, in high school. Actually, <laughs> to tell you the truth, I, I first started dating her in seventh grade. Um, we met in Catholic uh, CCD together. And um, we dated in seventh and eighth grade and on to high school. And it was really my first girlfriend, first kiss, you know, your first love. And we dated kind of off, on and off until we even graduated, you know, high school. And I, I, I thought I was going to marry this girl. You know, she was in my life for like eight years and totally in love with her. Her name was Lori Nolan. She was an incredible athlete, um, all state, field hockey, basketball, lacrosse, everything she touched. It was gold. Incredible personality. Loved the Lord. I mean, she was just an incredible uh, person. And, um, her freshman year in college, we actually both got accepted. We were going to go to college together. And our, my freshman year, I, I didn't go to school. I went to Up With People, and she went to Springfield College. And freshman year, uh, on February 1st, 1988, she uh, passed away uh, with meningitis. She would got diagnosed with meningitis the day before and, um, and died. And it was just really tragic. I was, you know, just 17, 18 years old and um, had to go to her funeral and, you know, bury her with, with the prom dress that she wore just six or seven months before. And uh, it was a real tough, tough time uh, in my life because, you know, it was the first time at losing someone so close to me and so young. And so uh, I like to say that I'm trying to live her life mm. and my life uh, together because, uh, you know, she was a, a legend in my life and really gave me inspiration to, to live two lives in one. Tommy, a lot, a lot of us who don't even get invited to the prom in the first place or never have the opportunity to date or to graduate or get the job we want, use that as a crutch that keeps us from taking the next step forward in life forever. You know, like, it, look what happened to me, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm where I am today, still struggling. When you're 17, 18, and you lose the love of your life, you've been in love with her since you were seven. It's really all, it's seventh grade. It's all you know, man. It's who you're going to marry, you think. How do you, how do you wake up? on day one and then day two and then day three and, and take the next step forward. Just kind of unpack that for me. Yeah. Well, one is you have to have faith 
that, you know, for me, my faith is important to me and know that God's got a bigger plan for all of us. And he did because, um, you know, years later, uh, at 35 years old, I got married to Jill and, uh, have three wonderful kids, you know, and he had a plan for me. Um, but you know, I think sometimes God puts obstacles in our life to humble us, mm. bring us closer to him and to, uh, teach us, uh, you know, and, you know, I, uh, I was deeply hurt when Lori passed away, but I went to my high school 30th reunion last week in New York with all my classmates mm-hmm. and raised, uh, $10,000 for the Lori Nolan scholarship fund. And, you know, she's still a part of many of us. And, uh, she never really died. She lives in our hearts, and she makes us all better people. Well, she sure, sure made you a better person. I think the blend of her, her love and that loss, your grandfather, that influenced your parents and your own experiences, guided you forward to where you're about to go next. Tommy, talk about your your experience at the bar. I, I kind of forget the details of this. We've chatted about it a couple times, but you're going for a job or a scholarship, yeah. and everybody's in the same room. And uh, walk us through that story. Yeah. So I, I finally went to college. I went to school in East Carolina. It took me almost five years to graduate with a 2.0. I, I mean, I just struggled academically because of my learning disability. But I, um, I wanted to go to law school. That was my dream in my life. Is that was the one thing I really wanted to do was to be a lawyer. And I applied to law school when I graduated college. And I applied to 37 schools, John. And I applied to the easiest ones. Like I researched, like what are the bottom 37? Like what's like the easiest law schools in the country, the lowest LSAT in grades. And I researched which ones were the easiest ones. And Man, I, we, we would have really liked each other back in the day. So there's a reason why we still enjoy each other today, I think. <laughs> oh, God, you're a lot smarter than I am, though, Johnny. Um, so I, I, I applied to these 37 law schools. I mean, all 37 schools cost me $4,000 for all these applications and all that. And I got rejected to all 37 schools, every one of them. The easiest law schools in the country. Every one of them rejected me. It was because my grades, you know. And I was devastated. It was a really tough time. And I was on this dive boat in Bali, Indonesia. It's just a long story, but um, I love the scuba dive. I went to Indonesia, and I was on this dive boat, and I started talking to this woman and her husband on this boat. And they were telling me that, that she had this sister in Atlanta, Georgia, that just finished being a Rotary Ambassadorial Scholar. Mm. And I didn't know what that was. And they said, oh, yeah, it's this prestigious scholarship, Rotary is this incredible worldwide service organization that has this global scholarship called the Global um, you know, Ambassadorial Scholarship. And they choose an American every year to get a master's degree, like an MBA degree. And you'd be great because your experience traveling the world with up with people and all your amazing experiences in college and leadership experiences, you should apply. And so I, I, I applied. And um, there was like 800 people that applied for the scholarship. And they chose 10 people to interview you know, for this $50,000, you know, Rotary Ambassadorial, you know, postgraduate, you know, scholarship. Mm-hmm. And it's, we all flew to New York for the interview. And I walk into a little Italian restaurant in like Peekskill, New York to, 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 for this interview. And I, I flew in from Japan. So I was like jet lagged and exhausted and, and uh, scared and intimidated. There were all these students from like Harvard and Yale yes. and Princeton and, you know, Ivy League schools. And um, the Rotary Committee asked all the 10 candidates to wait in the bar area of this restaurant. And they were going to call each one of us one by one into a banquet room where, the, where there was 10 Rotarians interviewing each of the 10 final candidates. And so I had a three and a half hour wait because my last name is Spalding was an alphabetical order you know, for the interviews. And so none of the other nine candidates were talking to each other. I mean, these were like just 
most stuck-up group of people. They were all scattered around the lounge area waiting for the name to be called. No mm-hmm. one was talking to each other. You know, three and a half hours is a long time. <laughs> so I went up to the bar, and I ordered a Diet Pepsi. You know, and I started talking to the bartender. And it turns out the bartender was not just the bartender, but was actually the owner of this, like, third or fourth generation Italian restaurant. And I told you my grandparents were Italian. My mom's 100% Italian. And so I, we started talking about our culture and our heritage. And, you know, before you know it, John, this guy had yearbooks out and photo albums out and took out his menu and walked me through his, you know, his grandma's meatballs and auntie's, you know, you know red sauce and pasta. And we had an incredible three-and-a-half-hour conversation, me and the bartender. And he did me the biggest favor because I was so nervous for this interview that time flew by quickly, and I finally got called into the interview. And uh, I, I poured my heart out in the interview. I mm-hmm. said, listen, I know I don't have good grades. I know that I have a 4.0 only if you took my high school GPA <laughs> and you added it to my college GPA. I mean, I, I graduated with a 2.0 GPA. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I love people, and I want to change the world, and I'm going to change the world. And I told them my story. And it was just a beautiful ending. At the end of the day, they, they voted. And they could only give one scholarship, and it was a dead tie. Uh, between me and this girl from Harvard that graduated magna cum laude. And um, she was also a very impressive um, student. And so it was dead tie. Five of these people on the committee voted for her, and five of the people on the Rotary Committee voted for me. They voted three times, John. And each time they voted, it was a dead tie, five and five, five and five, five and five. And so at, uh, you know, just the request of the chairman said, you know what, we've been in this room all day. It's a dead tie. Let's take a little 20-minute break, and let's go to the bar, and let's, uh, let's get a drink, and we'll talk about it, and some will change their vote, and we'll you know, go home. So they went to the bar and ordered drinks. Bartender serves them all drinks, and they're debating over who should win the scholarship back and forth, and the last, last call, last drink, and then the uh, chairman of the Rotary Committee says, okay, who's going to change your vote? How many people for the Spalding girl, Spalding guy? Five people raised their hand for me. How many people for the Harvard girl? Five people raised their hands. So it was a dead tie. The chairman's frustrated, doesn't know what to do. It was a dead tie. And he looks at the bartender, and he's got this idea. He says, hey, bartender, come over here. Bartender said, what's up? Chairman says, you were in the room all day, weren't you? And bartender says, yeah, sure, this is my place. And the chairman says, well, you must have met all the 10 candidates. They were here all day, you know. You must have met all of them. You know, who do you think should win the $50,000 Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship? And here's what the bartender said. I didn't meet any of the other nine candidates, but that Tommy Spaulding kid, he came up to the bar and sat down and he talked to me for three and a half hours. What a genuine, nice kid. And the bartender was the deciding vote. and I won the $50,000 Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship. And that was the change of my life, the, the tipping point, the, you know, the time my life changed and, um, it was because the bartender, you know, was a deciding vote. Well, your uh, your faith reminds you the, that the least among us aren't, that everybody matters, and uh, you're, you're living proof of this. Tommy, from winning that scholarship and going on uh, on into your life, eventually you end up at, uh, up with people. Talk about that experience. Yeah, when I graduated high school, I didn't get accepted to any colleges because my grades were so bad, and I was going to go to trade school. And... Um, um, uh, this group called Up With People came to my high school. And Up With People is this international leadership musical organization. And there's young people from all over the world. They're from every religion, Jews, Muslims, Christians, atheists, you know, every color skin, black, white, brown, 
um, communist, capitalist, I mean, every walk of life. And they, they bring these young people together, and they travel around the world, and they do community service. They live in host families, and they do this two-hour musical show. They did like four shows in the halftime shows in the Super Bowl in the 80s, and it was really an incredible world force. And they came to my high school, and I saw the show. I was 17 years old, never been on an airplane, never traveled outside New York or New England or really you know, left the country before. Mm-hmm. And to see this international group sing music and love, about love and you know, building relationships with people that pray and believe and look different than you. And that was the world, you know, to, to travel the world and to give back and volunteer. It was just new to me. And so I went backstage after the show and got some information, and I actually interviewed and uh, joined up with people. And so instead of going to trade school or junior college or college after I graduated high school at 17, I joined up with people. And I pretty much stayed involved in that organization on and off my whole life. And um, when I was 30 years old, um, I was asked to come back to Upper People to mm-hmm. become the CEO and president. And I ran that organization for uh, four years as a CEO. And uh, that was an incredible experience, you know, um, running the organization that, that changed my life. That's awesome. But um, Up With People taught me to, to love all people, uh, all religions, all cultures, all colors of skin, and that we all have a contribution to give back to the world and make it better. Seems to me with the divisiveness in our political landscape and our cultural landscape, the, the message that they taught you needs to be taught to our nation and our global marketplace now, maybe even more than ever before. Yeah, yeah. We have to learn as a world that we're all going to have different religions. We're all going to have different political views. We're all going to have different beliefs. We're all going to have, and we're all just different people. And we can, we can disagree. We, we don't have to understand. We, we just have to respect and we have to find love in all people. And that's in the workplace. That's in education. Right. That's just everywhere in the world. It's in your backyard and in your own bedroom. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in life. So t- Tommy, yeah. when did you make the shift into speaking? Well, um, when I was running up with people, um, I met a couple of speakers, Steve Farber, that wrote the Extreme Leadership, and um, Edge, and uh, um, Radical Edge, and a guy named Ken Blanchard, who wrote The One Minute Manager. And these two speakers kind of came into my life different ways through up with people. And uh, both of them kind of said to me, you know, you, you know, have you ever thought about speaking? Because it's always, it, it, I, I've never thought of it as a, as a gift, but they, they both heard me speak and said, you know, you really have a talent. Have you thought about writing a book? I said, are you kidding me? I can't even read a book, let alone write a book. And they mm-hmm. said, no, no, you can, have, you can have ghost writers and you have a writing team. And, you know, you really have a great message and a great story. And so I left up with people back in um, 2008 and I wrote my first book called It's Not Just Who You Know. And um, that book was really about uh, love and relationships and how you bring you know, authentic, genuine relationships to the workplace and that uh, most of the workplace is transactional. And I think that's the demise of co- companies is mm-hmm. when we run things as a transaction. And I challenged, you know, basically corporate America to, to, to take a look at how they run their business and how they bring authentic relationships with their clients and what that would look like having what I call fifth floor, deep, meaningful relationships that are real and authentic versus just a transaction. And that kind of got me on the circuit. And then my second book came out a few years ago called The Heart Led Leader. And so for the last 10 years, I've been blessed and honored just to speak and share my message and meet wonderful people around the world. When you speak, 
are when someone reads one of your books, and I realize they're, they're different topics, but generally our, our lives and our work have, have central themes. Tommy, what are a couple of the takeaways you hope people hear or read loud and clear by the time they're finished with Tommy Spalding that day? Yeah. Well, one is this, the first book is Relationships, is that, um, you know, um, we need to build more deeper, more meaningful relationships at work and, 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 and in your personal life. And not these transactional, superficial, what I call NSW, new sports weather, small talk right. relationships. Right. Like, just excuse my language, just the bullshit relationships that are just fake, right? You know, we, we, we're really called to build deeper, more meaningful relationships. And I believe we need to call those relationships in, at work, too, with our clients and our customers. You know, we don't just win people's business because we have the best price or the best product. We want to win people's business because we won their hearts because they know we're genuine and we care about them. So relationships matter, and, and, and that's important. And with my new book, The Heart of the Leader, um, it's really about bringing love into the workplace. Not, not the word love as using the word love, like my grandfather said. Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. And servant leadership has been around since Jesus 2,000 years ago. I mean, but we have a hard time as leaders to really bring, bring servant leadership into our workplace. And what does that look like? I call it heart-led leadership, which is a different spin on servant leadership, which we can unpack if you want to. But um, being a servant leader and putting others first and leading with, with vulnerability and humility and, and um, generosity mm-hmm. and transparency, um, these qualities were all looked at as soft, you know, California water cooler foo-foo, you know, talk 20, 30 years ago. Um, but today, if you're not vulnerable and real and authentic – and genuine uh, and transparent, people are not going to follow you. And I think we're having a revolution of leaders transforming their hearts and bringing their hearts to work and not just bringing their heads to work, but connecting the head and the heart. Uh, That 18-inch journey that's so difficult for people to make, that's the distance between your head and your heart, 18 inches, is the the heart that leaders connect the head and the heart, and they bring their hearts to work, and they, they show their employees and their teammates and their customers you know, what, what, what's behind, you know, the mask and, and they, they're authentic and genuine. Tommy, you write and speak and uh, live that 18-inch gap and how we can connect it so it's, it's not a gap, but it's a bridge. Tell me why you think so few of us do it well, <laughs> candidly, and what we can do to bridge those 18 inches so the two become one. Like, yeah. g- give me some practical stuff in my marriage, in my work, yeah. in my life that I can, my heart and my, my head can become one. Yeah. Well, here's the, uh, just a fact. Like, after writing books for 10 years and researching and meeting thousands of leaders with other people, I mean, it just, God's put me in a position of learning so much about leadership. And if I can just sum it up, there's two types of leaders. Um, there's self-serving leaders and there's servant leaders. That means there's, 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 or there's two types of people, two types of husbands, two types of wives, two types of teachers, doctors, lawyers. There's ones that serve themselves first, your self-serving leader, self-serving person, or your servant leader, or your servant person. And, but here's the rub, Johnny. You don't get to decide which one you are. You get to decide which one you want to be. But there's no person that goes to work and says, I want to be a self-serving teacher. I want to be a self-serving CEO or marketing director or principal or doctor or lawyer, or I want to be a self-serving husband. I mean, who admits them? No one admits that. Mm. But when you ask their people, you ask their children, 
you ask their spouses, you ask their customers, their clients, is XYZ a self-serving leader or servant leader? They will tell you the truth. And here's the rub. You know, most people think they are, you know, a, a true servant leader, but the people that follow them might disagree. Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned is that servant leadership and being a servant leader is hard because naturally we, we want to put ourselves first. You know, it's, it's look, at, look at the word networking. Look at the word networking. What, what is networking about? I mean, we're told to go out there and network. <laughs> networking is the most selfish word in the dictionary. I hate networking. It should be like erased from the vocabulary <laughs> of business. Because what's networking? It's about meeting people to help who? Help you. It's self-serving. And so I wrote a whole chapter in a book called Get Rid of Networking and, and Try Net Giving. When you meet people and you learn about who they are and then you serve them first. It's hard to serve people first. And so little steps you can do is every morning you wake up and say, okay, what can I do to serve others today? Serve my kids, serve my spouse, serve my team, serve my executive team, serve my customers. It's a constant thing every day to try to put others before you. And when you do that, um, the, the results are, are, are immeasurable. And that's what I really wrote about in The Hard Led Leaders. I talked about love and results are really two sides of the same coin. That hard led leadership is not just a feel good thing, no. but it really changes the results of any organization, mm. not just financial results, results in schools, hospitals, law firms, nonprofits, churches, temples, ministries, anything. But if you lead with servant leadership, people are going to respond to you in a way that's never been done before. And I think there's a heart led leadership revolution happening in the world today. And the world's starving for servant leaders that put other people first. And um, every day I ask myself, am I going to be a self-serving leader or am I going to be a servant leader today? And it's a choice. It really is a choice, Johnny. You have been through stuff that you've shared and a whole lot of other stories that you and I are not going to unpack today. But, Tommy, you've been punched um, more than a couple times. And I think Mike Tyson, one of his favorite quotes, one of my favorite quotes of his is everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, man. You've had plans in your business plans and your relationships plans in your life. And then boom, man, the the collision happens. What keeps you up, not up at night, but what keeps your, your voice and your heart and your spirit and your generosity as high as it is today? You know, John, thanks for asking that question because I, I've been really uncomfortable answering that question for a long time. And I guess I've been uncomfortable because it's, it's, it's not pretty. But um, it's, it's, we all get punched in the face, and the world isn't perfect. And I remember when I uh, was an up with people, I was 17, and, and my, my, my grandfather of my dad's side, my, my dad's father, left my father when he was just one years old. So I never knew my grandfather until mm-hmm. like till, till my, my dad was like 40 years old. So I was like 17 years old when I first met my grandfather. And Up With People came to Michigan to did a show, and I was with the tour of Up With People, and my grandfather lived in Michigan. So I got to spend the weekend with my, da- my dad's father, my grandfather, for the first time alone. With, and it was great to kind of hang out with my grandfather, who mm-hmm. I just met. And we went fishing, went to the movies. It was a great weekend. Mm-hmm. And um, he called my father, my grandfather, after our trip, and he said to my dad, you know, I know I was probably a terrible husband or father to you, but I got to tell you, Tom Sr., my dad, you did a great job on Tommy Jr. That kid has got more love, and um, he has got more optimism, and he, he is a great young man, right? And I saw 
him in the Upper People cast, and all the students love him, and you know, you must be proud. And my, of course, my dad said yes. And then my grandfather said something that really pissed me off and hurt me deeply, but he was actually right 20 years later. He said, I worry about young Tani. He has such a genuine and gentle heart that the world has got some bad people in the world, and there's evil in the world, and there's people who are going to be jealous of him, and there's people who are not going to understand his good heart, and they're going to try to take him down, and they're going to punch him in the face. And I don't know if he's going to be able to you know, cope with that. And I said, well, what a jerk for saying something like that. Like, right. just, the world's full of great people. I'm an up with people. We all love each other, right? And then, then I got sued last year by an ex-business partner that totally lied and cheated mm-hmm. and stole from me, right? And then I dealt with my wife's ex-husband, and I, I, I don't want to get into details, but I need to get a restraining order on that. I mean, like, all I've right. had, there have been people in my life that really deeply hurt me, right? Relatives and people in my life that are close, I mean, like, that, that lied, cheated, stole, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it really hurt me. Like, wow, my grandfather's right. There are people out there. And I've gone through depression through it, anxiety and deep sadness. And, and to answer your question, John, what gets me up is I've decided that there's 5% of people in the world that are going to be critics. They're going to be jealous. They're going to be angry. They're going to be evil. They're going to be manipulative. I call them the critics and the crazies. Like, for example, 5% of people think that Walt Disney is frozen. 5% of people think Jim Morrison, the lead singer of The Doors, never got killed and he's still alive. 5% of the world never, never thought that, that Hitler killed 7 yes. million Jews, that the Holocaust never happened. 5% of the world believed that the United States staged the landing of the Apollo lunar mm-hmm. in 1969, never actually landed on the moon. It was all staged in Hollywood in a m- movie theater set to, to show the Russians that we beat them in the space. I mean, there's 5% of people that are freaking crazy, Believe anything. Right? That's right. And so those are the same 5% of people that are suing me, hurting me. And, 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 and you know, th- there's always going to be 5% of people that are just trying to take you down. And so you just got to decide. Do you want to live? By the way, when I was CEO of other people, there was 5% of people constantly criticizing me, constantly trying to get, get at you and gossiping. And I mean, there's just, it's, there's yeah, there's critics and crazies everywhere. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're speaking a message of love and servant leadership and, and, and good, anything good in the world, you, they're, they're working twice to take you down. And, and I just realized as an adult, and just, just learning this, this past year, getting through all this, is that I have to make a decision. We have to make a decision. Do we want to do we want to lead and, and love the 95% or do we want to let the 5% you know, steal our joy and take our heart? And um, I think that gets us through the tough times because the reality is, is the world's mostly full of good people and we've got to look for the good in people. Well, Tommy, you let the you, bad people take our joy. You're one of them, man. And one of the good people I know is you. And I also know that you are on the road quite a bit between writing and meetings and, and connecting and speaking. And your real heart is at home with your bride and your babies. I'm, I'm curious for people who work hard, that it means they spend a lot of their time at the office or on the road or wherever it may yeah. be, but they want to have a great marriage or partnership or they want to be great sons and daughters or parents or friends. What are a couple things that you do uh, to remain on fire in your relationships at home? Yeah. When people look at my travel schedule, you know, I go to a couple hundred cities a year, you know, with all speaking and coaching and working I do. And I'm gone a lot. You know, so how do you have a great marriage? How do you, have, how do you stay a great father? And, you know, especially because my father was a school teacher. 
to John. He was home every day at dinner time at four o'clock. Never even, I never even missed a dinner with my dad ever. And I'm gone, you know, 15, 20 days of the month sometimes, right? It's tough. Mm-hmm. But I realized that my wife is amazing, Jill. She just really taught me is that when I'm home, uh, I really try to be present. And I've just learned that my wife and my children rather have me 100% of the time during the, the days that I'm home than being here full time and just checked out and thinking about other things and golfing eight hours on Saturday with the buddies. And so my life right now is serving and loving and, and giving to my business and traveling the world and, and, and speaking. And um, when I'm home, I'm just locked in supporting my wife and my kids and what they do. And I, it's just the whole thing about, you know, quantity versus quality. Mm-hmm. And I'm really trying to live my life with quality. And, uh, you know, it just works. My, I've been on, the, on tour since my kids were little, and they, they don't know anything different. I'm going to Haiti next week on a mission trip all week, you know. So I'm gone a lot. Um, but, you know, they know I'm changing the world, and um, I'm bringing the world home to them. And I think my kids are going to change the world. And um, I also married a great woman that just yes. gets, gets that – she believes that her role in life is to is to love and support me and the family so I can do what I do. And I really couldn't do it without Jill. And so uh, if there's anybody out there still not married, um, picking that right one is the most important decision in the world. Um, because um, you know, most people get it wrong. When you get the right person, you really could do anything in life. Well, Jill is awesome. The last time we were together, uh, we were at a ball game. The kids were there. Jill was there. We uh, we we watched the Rockies take down whoever they were playing that night. So, uh, Tommy, you, you, you live the message when you're on the road. You work your tail off, but when you're at home, you you play like a puppy man. I think it's a pretty good balance and approach to life. Tommy, I'm going to shift gears on you a little bit and take you through seven questions that every one of our guests have been asked and have also answered. So uh, this is safe territory now, brother. It's called the Live Inspired 7. Tommy Spaulding, with dyslexia, what is the best book that you have either ever read or listened to? So what's your favorite book? There's a book called Fearless by Eric Blem that is about a Navy SEAL that was addicted to heroin or drugs and crack, and he got out of jail and got out of the crack house, and he joined the Navy. And uh, eight years later, he became captain of the Navy SEAL Team 6. It's the most incredible, inspiring story about how God can change your heart. And um, this story moved me in a way that I've never been moved. And I've bought hundreds of copies of, and mail them and give them out every time I can, I can get a cop, hold of copies I hand it out. Fearless by Eric Blem. Well, I, I am aware of that book. I've read that book because it showed up on my doorstep when my friend Tommy Spaulding sent it to me. So uh, I, I'm one of the recipients, man. It's a great book. Uh, tomorrow, Tommy, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? I, I This is not to say I think I would make sure my kids' college are taken care of, and then I would probably set up a foundation and give most of that away. Um, I, I have a hard time with inherited wealth. I work with a lot with young people, and every time I see young people inherit a lot of money, entitlement comes with it, hmm. and I don't want my family or my kids to be entitled, so I'd, I believe in earning money, not receiving it, so I'd probably set up a foundation and, and fund all these charities that I'm so passionate about. 
Tommy, if your house caught fire, and you have a lovely house, by the way, if your house caught fire and all living things, that's your family, and all living little animals are out, you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What would you run back in and grab? My one item. What's the one thing? Oh, pop <laughs> My 1976 New York Yankees signed baseballs. Reggie Jackson, Lou Piniella, Bucky Dent, Greg Nettles. I love the 76 Yankees, and that's probably what I'd grab. That's awesome. <laughs> if you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a gorgeous day, man, and have a long conversation with anybody, living or dead, who would you want to visit with that day? Hmm. Um, Abraham Lincoln... Or, or Jesus. Awesome. Maybe both. That would be great. That would be a great conversation for three people. It would be a pretty good one-two punch, man. <laughs> What's the best advice that you've ever received? Um, marriage is not 50-50. It's giving 100% to your spouse and expecting zero in return. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? that you're going to get kicked down and punched in the face, that there are going to be critics and crazies out there that are going to try to hurt you. But stay focused on the 95% of the people that want to love and change the world with you. Don't get dragged down by the critics and crazies. Tommy Spaulding, my friend, you made it through. Final question is this. It has been said that all great people and servants can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Tommy Spaulding, how would you like your one sentence to read? Well done, my good and faithful servant. (laughs) Well done, my good and faithful servant, Tommy Spaulding. Indeed, you have lived a wild, wild life. And uh, man, as your buddy, wingman, I believe the best of your life remains in front of you. Thanks, Johnny. Hey, Johnny, I'm not going to hang up the phone until I tell you a story about you when you came in my home the first time met my son, who's now nine. He must have been four when you first met him, and he saw you didn't have any fingers. And, he, and you know, four-year-olds don't have filters, and said, where, where are all your fingers? <laughs> I and remember you know what it. you said? Tell me. You said, oh, dude, fingers are overrated. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we went to the Rockies game together, and, John, I, I just love you because I've seen you speak uh, many times, and I love your message, but here's why I love you. Now that I've been on the speaking circuit for 10 years, you and I know all the speakers. We know all the authors. And the one thing that's a little disheartening is that some of these men and women that are amazing and talented speakers, they're not the same person off stage than they are on stage. I mean, you read their books, you hear them speak, mm-hmm. and they're phenomenal, and then you meet them, and they're just either arrogant or aloof or condescending. or you know, it's just, They're just you know, disappointing. And then you meet John O'Leary. And the person in that, that John O'Leary is, is he's even a better person off stage than on stage. You know, he's a better person off the pages of the book than on the pages of the book. And that's what makes you really, really special, John. And I love your heart and, um, and what you stand for. Um, and you're changing the world, and I'm blessed to be your friend. Well, man, on my my next bad day, which will probably be tomorrow morning, I'm just going to re-listen to the very end of this podcast. I'll skip through all the garbage on the front side <laughs> the first 40 minutes, jump right to the end, and listen to that beautiful share, man. So, Tommy Spaulding, my friend, thank you for that. And my friends listening at home, uh, 
That was Tommy Spaulding. That's his heart. That's his life. He's worth checking out. You may want to go visit him at TommySpaulding.com. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Well, my friends, I tried to warn you on the front side that Tommy would offer some amazing tips to help build even more authentic relationships to grow your business and to grow your life. You know, perhaps my favorite was his recommendation to ask yourself if you are a self-serving leader or a servant leader. I'm going to say that again. Are you a self-serving leader, nurse, teacher, salesperson, parent, son, daughter, auntie, or are you a servant leader, nurse, teacher, parent, salesperson, auntie, uncle, you get the idea. Then ask yourself and your colleagues if they would agree. Would your spouse agree? Would those who know you best agree with you? We can always pivot from one to the next. And my invitation to you on this day is to ensure, to pivot toward, to decide right now to be a servant leader. It's going to change not only your life, but the lives of those lucky enough to do life, to do work, to do relationships with you going forward. My friends, to get all of my favorite moments from this podcast and from all the previous podcasts, go ahead. Visit me online right now at John O'Leary Inspires. And if you haven't yet, consider rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. It is an awesome way that with your help, we can touch even more lives through this podcast, through this message, through this Live Inspired channel. Again, I'm going to be with you next Thursday as part of the Live Inspired movement. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary and today is your day. Live Inspired. Live Inspired.